Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the hope and door. People need the Lord. People need. for singers and uh, in my case the preachers sometimes you know we struggle with our voices and uh, let me tell you this uh, brother Josh he's really struggling with his voice you couldn't tell that too awfully much here tonight but uh, this morning but he is and it's kind of like this let me try to explain how it works have you ever have you ever had to you know like um, uh, grip something really solid and firm for a long time and then after you're done gripping it it's like you can hardly grip it you know it's like you're afraid if you're holding something else, you just it just like kind of lets loose. Kinda, I don't know if you ever done that. See, with me, I'm a hardworking guy, unlike some of you maybe. But uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you ever have that where you? I don't know. Maybe you did a, a hand grip. Maybe you just. I when I'm we're doing construction sometimes, and just to happen to always constantly, you know, say caulk or something, and you're doing that all day long, and your forearms just like blowing up. And then your hand just feels like it's like tingly almost. And at any moment, you feel like it could go. 
That's how voices get. <clears throat> so Brother Josh is up here singing. He's just waiting for it to go. It is, I'm telling you, that's how it is. Can I tell you what it takes to sing when you feel like that? Faith. That's good, and I appreciate that. He did a great job under the... I told Brother Kavanaugh, maybe I should be the one up there singing. My voice felt like I got a little stronger from this morning. I couldn't even sing that last note in that course we did this morning. I was cracking and crunching all over. And Brother Josh's voice is going like this. Mine seems to be going like that. We'll see how it works out, all right? Uh, before it's over with, it may just go away itself. And if it does, then that's the Lord telling me, stop preaching, they've had enough, right? And you're probably hoping that's like 15 minutes in. All right, let's Philippians chapter 2 today. We've got a lot to cover because we want to get done a little early so that we can see our presentation on our missions month. But Philippians chapter 2, an unusual missions uh, <clears throat> message today. It's different, okay? Uh, normally, you know, we'd go to the Great Commission. You know, this missions month, right? The Great Commission. And uh, I was telling them if I had a theme and I was utilizing the Great Commission, I'd call it God's Command, Our Responsibility. But we're not doing that. So, oh well. Anyway. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to kind of start off in a different place. This is not a familiar passage for missions, but I hope you'll find that it'll be an encouragement and help to you. <clears throat> the Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men being found in the fashion as a man he humbled himself became obedient unto death even the death of the cross wherefore god also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven things in earth things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd just bless now the message. I pray that you'd strengthen my voice, that you would help my thought to be clear, that, Lord, I would be able to speak with great clarity. I pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in everything that's said and done. Thank you for the wonderful songs we've already heard today, for the music and even the congregationals that put us in a spirit of praise and worship. We ask that, Lord, we would worship you now by focusing our attention on you and allowing your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and the word of God to impact our life. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. May I be your mouthpiece today. We love you. We need you desperately. Bless our missions as we emphasize it this month. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> mankind, <clears throat> mankind may have a cross on their mind when they consider Christ, and understandably so. We spend a lot of time talking about Jesus Christ on the cross, and nothing wrong with that. However, I don't believe that that's what's on the mind of the Savior, Jesus. He has a throne on his mind. Mankind may see Christ as a helpless zealot, mocked, maligned, and mistreated, subject to the whims of humanity and powerless in the world. But may I say that he is the creator. He's the all-powerful God of the universe. He's high and lifted up. He's seated in the heavenlies. He's preparing to take his rightful place on the throne of all the earth. 
And he is going to return with fury, executing judgment upon the wicked and the Christ rejecter. Jesus is not to be trifled with. Not at all. And what we learn from our passage this, mor- this morning is simply this, that every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow. Oh, I know his track record isn't good as far as authority is concerned. He came the first time and submitted himself to his very creation. He came and may have given somebody the idea that he is someone to be messed with, that he can be taken advantage of. But may I say to you today that that is not the Jesus that is now seated in the heavenlies. That's not the Jesus who is going to return one day with wrath and fury, that's going to establish himself on the throne of David and place himself in his rightful place of authority. The Bible tells us here that every knee shall bow of things in heaven, it says. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Talking about Christ in the heavens. For such an high priest, Hebrews 7, 26 tells us, became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Listen, there are angels and archangels. There are cherubims and seraphims. There, there are thrones and dominions. We have the heavenly host that it loves and serves the master that willingly takes their place at his feet and adores him and gives him adoration and praise. They wait on his words. They rush to his bidding. Of course, they're bowing. And yet there are those factions that stand in direct opposition to the God of heaven. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Turn there, would you? I believe it's important to realize and remember that Satan is not bound in hell. That he is not locked away, rendered helpless. Matter of fact, he is free to go about deceiving. He resides in the heavenlies. Someone says, well, what should we be doing about outer space? Should we be uh, pursuing Mars? Should we be going to Pluto? Should we try to go to the next uh, range of stars, another galaxy? Let me tell you something. I promise you this, and I, I, and, and I think we're going to learn this well into uh, when we hit the, uh, the rapture, we're going to realize that those heavenlies are filled with demonic beings. Someone says, that's crazy, that's nuts. You read over in the book of Psalms sometime about Leviathan. Where in the world, what sea is he swimming in? Someone says, you're out of your mind. That's all right. I'd rather be out of my mind and right than in my mind and wrong. And the fact is, my friend, is that there are satanic beings in the heavenlies and they have yet to bow their knee. But my friend, they will bow that knee one day. The Bible says over in Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Not just talking about on top of Mount Suvia or whatever it's called. Talking about in the heavenlies. And as I said, Satan is not bound nor is he locked. We think about Job and we remember how Satan went in and out with the angelic host. 
They're giving their, their, their a report to the heavenly father, to the God of the universe, and Satan is amongst them. He's in the heavenlies. But the Bible tells us that every knee shall bow of things in heaven. Satan is an angelic host. The demons, the evil spirits, the principalities, and all powers will bow. But he also says not only of things in heaven, but of things in earth. You know, the masses of humanity that have been deceived by the lies of Satan, that have been enslaved by the systems of this world, communism, humanism, the false religions of this world. Turn to Psalm chapter 2, please. In Psalm chapter 2, we, we, we can see where the mindset of the world lies, where the idea of uh, unredeemed mankind falls. They, they rest here in this place, whether they understand this or not. Notice Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The carnal man, the, 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 the unregenerate man for sure, looks to God and says, listen, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't want any authority over me. That is a very natural thing. It's natural in your life and it's natural in mine. Nobody, none of us really want someone to tell us what to do. We want to set our own course. We want to go our own direction. We want to do our own thing. How dare you tell me what to do? I'm my own person. Leave me alone. I know what's best for me and mine. And yet the Bible tells us that the unsaved man, that the kings of this earth, that the world in which we live, that is run by the little g God of this world, Satan, stands before God and imagines a vain thing. The vain thing being that God is an authority. I, I don't have to submit to his authority. I don't have to yield myself to God. I can do as I please. I don't have to bow the knee if I don't want to. My friend, you will. Things in the earth. See, this is the state of fallen man, rebellious against the headship of God, rejecting the authority of God, demanding independence from God. But still, no matter how hard they try, no matter how loud they demand, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow. Not only every knee bowing of things in heaven itself and in things in the earth, but also in things under the earth. The dead, the unsaved dead, they will be raised to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. They may have bowed their back. They may have said, I'll not bow while on that earth. But my friend, when they stand before God at the great white throne judgment, they'll bow the knee. And so will you if you stand before him there. The founders of false religious religions with their devilish doctrines, their godless philosophies, their worldly ideologies, they will stand before God at that judgment and they will bow the knee. Those who hated Christ will be there. Those who martyred the saints will be there. Those who shed the innocent blood will be there. 
Revelations chapter 21 verse 8 says, But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. My friend, every knee shall bow. So we learn that every knee shall bow, but from the passage we also learn something else, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word translated confess here means to confess openly. That is to confess in the sense that we, we're in agreement with someone. We agree with them. Yes, that's correct. That is true. That is right. I agree with you. The day will come when all creation will have to agree with God. They'll agree that exalting the Lord Jesus Christ and lifting him up on the pinnacle of power in which he will rule and reign is right. It's correct. I confess that to be true. They'll all do that with their mouth. They'll confess that he alone is Savior and King. They'll confess that his judgment is just and righteous. They'll confess that he is Jesus the Christ. They'll confess. See, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are reminded of once again of this same truth in Romans chapter 14, verse 11 and 12, when the Bible says, For it is written, I live, saith the Lord, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall, sh shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Yeah, before someone gets the idea that the word should being used over there in our passage today means that it should happen, but it won't happen, Romans clarifies that and says, so it shall happen. Just to clarify the, uh, the, the definition of the word as it's being used in that passage. So every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You say, man, that doesn't sound like a missions message to me. Well, let me tell you, when we as believers start to, when we come to the realization that every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess, it ought to motivate us to reach the world while there's still time. Because if they have to reach, uh, meet God at the great white throne judgment, my friend, it is too late then. I want to share just a couple of folks who bowed the knee. Number one, a giant bowed. Again, we don't want to rehash what we've spoken about in the last couple of weeks. But let me just say, and it's important to remember, that that Goliath, that giant, bowed his knee before God. He blasphemed the God of heaven. He blasphemed the armies of Israel. And yet, when it was all said and done, he was on his face bowing. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 46, the day, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. As we arrive at verse 48 and 49, the Bible says, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. My friend, I don't believe it's coincidental that he fell on his face to the earth. I believe it's just the way things work. I don't care if you're a giant. I don't care how strong and powerful you may be. My friend, the Bible says you're going to fall on your face before God. You're going to bow the knee. And we all bow the knee. We all bow. Giant bowed, but also a backslidden preacher bowed. A backslidden preacher. 
Think about Jonah. Turn, if you would, to Jonah chapter 1. Get to find that little book in the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1. In Jonah chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and just read through verse 3 to start with. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof, and he went down to it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I think it's so awfully important to realize that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, and that Jonah ultimately rejected the word of the Lord. And as a result of that, instead of bowing the knee, he ran from the very presence of God. That's a pretty sad commentary, isn't it? Here's a preacher supposed to be a man of God running from the very God that he's supposed to be preaching about and serving. That's pretty sad. Someone says, well, I would never do that. My friend, let me ask you simply this. If the word of God is true, and it is, if it is indeed the the word of God and the commands of God, then even as Jonah disobeyed the word of God, is there any area in this word, this book, that you call the Bible that you disobey? You say, but I would never not bow my knee. My friend, he didn't bow his knee. Instead, he backslid and ran away from God. And I promise you this, there are plenty of believers, including myself, and at some point in my life, or possibly even in my life today, when it comes to certain areas of my life where I run from God too. My friend, it's time that we bow the knee because we are going to. He says in verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's interesting that when Jonah takes his way, his trip, he goes down there and he gets into that ship. I think this is interesting too. He makes his way into the bow of that ship, and there he is quite comfortable. Someone may think, well, you know, he's rebelling against God. He's running from God. He must have tremendous conviction. There must be real guilt on his life right now. He must be really feeling a lot of turmoil in his spirit. He's probably upset greatly. My friend, he wasn't upset. He wasn't under such great conviction. He had somehow, some way, convinced himself that he had made a good decision, that he was doing the best thing or the right thing for him and his family, that somehow he had already made an agreement with God. Everything will be perfectly fine. I may not be going to Nineveh like I was told, but this is certainly the best course of action. And my friend, I can tell you this, that you and I are good at justifying our actions at somehow telling God that we know what's best for us and our families. But my friend, let me tell you, he fell asleep in the bowels of that boat. He was quite comfortable in his sin. And so many times we are too. But God sent a whale. It's funny what God has to do to get our attention, isn't it? Now listen, I I don't know about you. I don't know where you're at, but I've had a lot of things happen to me in my life. You probably have too. I I mean, I recently got in a little bit of an accident. That was somewhat traumatic. But can I tell you this? A deer hit me, okay? Thanks a lot for the commentary. But anyway, 
I, I want to make sure everybody's in on the little joke there. But anyhow, uh, so, so anyway, it was somewhat traumatic, right? Well, hold on. I really, I'll be honest with you. I don't think it was quite as traumatic as being swallowed by a whale. Right? You know what I'm saying? Listen, I don't know what you've been through, and, and I'm not saying that you haven't been through a lot, but I don't know, that being swallowed by a whale is pretty traumatic. And so I guess what I'm asking you is this, what's it going to take for you and I to ultimately obey God and his word? What's it going to take to keep us from running from God? What's it going to take to get us to bow? It's scary to think about what lengths God will go to to bring his men and women back to him. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 now. Jonah's whole attitude changes in the belly of that whale. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Man, I mean, think about what just transpired. Think about how different his outlook is now before he's running from God, before he's on a, on a straight course away from the God of heaven. But now he's going, looking to the Lord and he's saying to him simply this, I want to thank you, Jesus. I want to thank you, Lord, for bringing this whale into my life. And I'm going to follow through with your word now. Thank you for waking me up. If anything, Christians need woke today. Not like the world's talking about being woke. We need woke to the reality of God in our lives, to the authority of God in our lives. And we need to bow the knee. The Bible says in Jonah 3.3, 3, So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. He made it in one. I mean, he had just bought a brand new pair of sneakers and he was off and running. He got there quick. A backslidden preacher bowed. A giant bowed. Interestingly enough, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, I see a little G God bowed. Turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. The Israelites had been in a war, and as a result, they lost the Ark of the Covenant. We pick up, and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, The Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon, they should have never done that. Are you proud of me, brother? Is that something you would say, right? That's right. That's something Brother Don would say. <laughs> so nonetheless, they took it. The Bible says, and the Philistines took that ark, and they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early in the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of God, the Lord. Now, let's be honest. We understand, based on the word of God, that the ark of God represents the presence of God. It would be between the, the cherubims that he would reside, sitting on that, that, that mercy seat. There God would rest, and there he would be 
Anytime you see the ark, it's a representation of the presence of God. And now they take that ark and they move it on into to this, this temple of Dagon, a false god, a little g god. And the Bible tells us right off the bat that right there all of a sudden it says, hey, once the Lord was sat there and there's Dagon and overnight, the Bible says that early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. That means, therefore, that he fell on his face. He bowed the knee before God. I think it's kind of interesting, too, and I think it's ironic. Here he is, their God. Little G, mind you. Oh, poor little Dagon fell on the ground. Let's pick him up and put him back on this little pillar. I thought he's supposed to be a God. But he needs you to pick him up. He needs you to place him back on his little pillar, his little seat of authority. Hold on, it's not over with yet, though. Notice the Bible says here, he goes on to say in verse 4, and when they arose early on the morrow morning, the next morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Hold on. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. He had no power to push himself up. He has no power to think himself out of his situation. He has no head. He has no hands. There's just this little stump, a little rump of a God. And I'm not afraid to say it. He is no God at all. Amen. You may think yourself to be a God. You say, oh, I would never do that. Really? You know, any time that we choose to take uh, and supersede God's word, in a sense, we have replaced ourselves with God himself. You say, I wouldn't even serve an idol. I'd never bow down to some wooden or some stone fixture or, or, or being or creation. Oh, no, but we'll bow down to our sports. We'll bow down to a person. We'll bow down to a job. We'll bow down to all kind of things. But when we're bowing to someone or something other than God, we are not bowing before him. Every knee shall bow, though, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And we see here in our passage, that, 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 I mean, in, in, in our message, that a giant bowed, a backslidden preacher bowed, a false god bowed. I want to show you a desperate woman who bowed. Turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 13. We're going to read 13, 15, and then we'll go from there, but just a few verses here as well. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. What we're going to find is Hannah is the wife of Elkanah and she has found herself in a place where she is unable to bear children. Her heart is so heavy. She's become so desperate for a child. And we find her now praying. I would say that that may imply bending the knee, bowing the knee. And only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli, the priest, thought she had been drunken. And Hannah answered and said, No, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor or drink, strong drink, 
but have poured out my soul before the Lord. They rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came into their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come after, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Boy, she's desperate. She's so desperate, she bows the knee and cries out to God. You know, I don't know about you again, but I find in my own life that there's so many things I do just almost without thinking. I, I, I really do. I, I, I find myself going through the motions sometimes. I, I, don't, I don't think it, you know, it, it's just whether it's the ministry, whether it's my marriage, whether it's raising the kids, whatever it was, there are things that I felt like I was capable and qualified and able to do on my own. I'd gotten so used to doing them over and over and over and over again that I thought, man, I'll just plug right in again. I'll just put the formula in place. I'll just do what I have to do to get it done. But I'm doing it many times without bowing my knee. You get desperate enough, it'll drive you to your knee. You hear me? You get desperate enough, I get desperate enough, it'll drive us. Tar- you know, I'm amazed how many people tell me, oh, I'm so desperate, I'm just so, I'm at the Lord, I just, I, I don't know what to do, preacher. They're not there yet. So, you know, what are you doing? What's your prayer life look like? Well, you know, I'm trying to pray. It's always hard for me. I, you know, I just can't seem to stay focused. Then you aren't desperate enough. You, you aren't desperate enough. My marriage is falling apart. (laughs) Yeah, how desperate are you for your marriage? How many hours have you prayed? Not minutes. How many hours? Okay, let one of your children get hit by a car and end up in the ICU. Let me ask you something. You're going to pray then? But your marriage is falling apart and you spend about three minutes a day on it. We're not desperate. Who are we kidding? We pretend. We're convincing ourselves that we're so holy and so righteous and that our relationship with the Lord is so good. Nah, come on, let's knock it off. Hey, listen, Hannah was desperate to get something from God. Hannah wanted something miraculous to take place. I'm telling you what, she bowed the knee. And my friend today is a believer. We need to get to the place where everything comes from our heavenly father. He is the God and father of all lights. He's the one that brings every good thing into our being and our pathway. We need to get on our knees. We need to bow the knee. Hey, every knee shall bow. Just how desperate is God gonna have to make us? Finally, I wanna talk about a sinful man bowed. Think about the Apostle Paul over in the book of Acts, chapter 9. This man is breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, the Bible says. Chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And he desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women. You know, that's a message right there. 
if he found any in of this way. I wonder which way you're going. I wonder if your way garners the attention of the lost. I wonder if your way is a threat to Satan and to those who are in opposition to God. That's a message right there. He goes on, so he desired, in verse 2, of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? We know how this story ends. We know that the Lord shows up, and when he shows up, as this bright light and the voice from heaven sounds, that Saul, at that point, who would later be called uh, um, Paul, he falls on his face before God. He bows the knee. He goes on later in Acts chapter 26 to speak to a man by the name of Agrippa, the king, and he says, and I said, who art thou, Lord? He's re stating his testimony, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things that the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles to whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He goes on to tell King Agrippa now, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. When God spoke to my heart, when God met me on that road to Damascus, I fell on my face before God, I humbled myself, I bowed the knee, and he gave me marching orders to reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Sounds a lot like the church, doesn't it? I trust that you've come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and you recognized him as the Savior Jesus, that you understood your need of forgiveness and salvation, that you cried out in mercy and for forgiveness and you invited Jesus into your life. But my friend, it doesn't stop there. He says, now you have a responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. There was another man that he's speaking to by the name of King Agrippa, as we mentioned, he comes to a totally different decision or idea. He says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Do you know if his almost didn't turn into you have, he'll stand before the Lord Jesus at the great white throne judgment and he'll bow the knee then. Because you're going to bow the knee either way. You're going to confess that he is Lord either way. Better now than later. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and the things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see a giant, Goliath. He bowed before an all-powerful God. What did it take? A battle. It's going to require a battle for you to bow. I'm not talking about your salvation being lost. 
I have nothing to do with that. I'm talking about now that you're a child of God. Is it, it, listen, it's easy to go through life distracted in this world. To even neglect our Lord. To find ourselves pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Instead of bowing the knee in humility. Will it take a battle in your life? Then we see a backslider, Jonah. He bowed before a loving God. A God who loved the nation that Israel hated. A God who loved Jonah enough to say, I will not allow you to continue to go the direction you're going because the only real place where you'll find true purpose, joy, and peace is in my presence. So it took chastening. Will it take a battle? Will it take God's chastening to get us to bow? Of course, we saw the false god, Dagon, who bowed before a holy God. Boy, God's presence has a tendency to bring us to our face. See a desperate woman, Hannah, who bowed before a gracious God, a giving God, It was a hardship, a hardship that brought her to her knees. And then we see a sinful man, Paul the Apostle, who bowed before a forgiving God. Once again, it took a meeting with him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For the world... They're either going to bow in this life or they're going to bow at the great white throne judgment. But for the believer, it'll cost you your peace. It'll cost you your joy. Cost you purpose. Cost you power. Peace of mind. You and I don't bow our knee, then God is obligated as as our heavenly father to do something about it. I just want you to know every knee shall bow. Here's my last question. Maybe today you haven't trusted Jesus Christ. But although you and I will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the question this morning is this for you. Will you confess him as Savior? You know, there are people that believe that there's a God in heaven. There are people who may even believe that he's the creator, but they have not bowed their knee to him as Savior. It's important that you come to Jesus Christ while you still can. We talk about the signs of the times and everybody's on the rapture has to happen now because look how bad it's gotten in the world. I don't know that for sure. I don't even know when it'll happen. What I do know is whether you live a day more or you live 40 or 50 more years, you're gonna bow the knee. Don't throw away what life you have on this earth, a life that you have to share what God's given you back to the one who gave it. You owe him that. You don't get saved to escape hell. You get saved because you owe God everything. He gave you life itself. Now give your life back to him. 
The world's in need of a Savior. And as we kick off our missions month, may we be conscious that the world is going to bow the knee and we need to stand between them and that judgment, between heaven and earth. We need to do our best to reach them with the gospel. And missions is a good way to reach the world with the gospel. What are you going to do with them today yourself? Are you bowing up? Or are you bowing down? Are you clenching your fist in anger toward God? Or are you opening them up in praise to him? That's a decision you have to make. But never forget, every knee shall bow. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. We certainly thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And Lord, today we just ask that you would speak to our hearts today. There might be some believers even that are angry at you. Lord, help them, Father, to unclench their fist and instead reach up and praise. May they bow down instead of bowing up. Oh, God, help us as believers to bend the knee, to bow the knee. Lord, if there be a lost man or woman in this place, Lord, may they come to the realization that every knee shall bow and that they're going to bow it now while they have the opportunity and chance to do it willingly. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet.